Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast The Endurance of Labor Laws. I am your lovely host Leslie Sullivan. And today is episode 127, and we're going to take a look at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And this might need to be broken down into two or three parts because they have a long history. They really do, and it's really neat because I did not know that it went back so far. I had no clue. So let's go ahead and dive into this puppy here. And again, we're going to be discussing the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So, let me take a look here. So their motto, this is really cool. Their motto is fidelity, bravery, and uh, integrity. That's wonderful. Uh they were formed or founded July 26th, 1908, but it was founded as the Bureau of Investigation. So what's interesting about the FBI is that they they've been different names in different decades per se. They've had like three or four different names. But usually the reason why it changes is because they are growing as an agency and they are starting to investigate other things. So it's one of those things that you get more employees, you start having a bigger specialty and more specialties. The name typically does change with organizations and we've seen this in the private sector, so this is nothing new as well. So let's see here. They have a little over thirty-five thousand employees. Not a whole lot. I thought it would have been way more, but it is not. Now, what I am about to say, please um, do not get angry. I'm just gonna kind of give you a little bit of warning there. Um, they have an annual budget, and when I say annual budget, that means monies that they get. It's not, hey, we are requesting this. Give us, you know, what you think we should have. No, they say this is what we want. and this is what they get. Uh their 2021 budget. So these are monies that they did receive. These are federal tax dollars, meaning tax dollars that came out of our paychecks, right? They got 9,748,829,000. That's just for one year. Now that is a huge budget. And what we will discover a little bit later is that the bulk of that money goes towards salaries. Some of it does go towards expenses, but the bulk of it goes towards salaries. That concerns me a lot because I don't think that's appropriate spending. Do they do a good job? Sure. Are they important? Yes. But, you know, federal agencies they tend to overspend, and the FBI is not the only one. Um I think the EPA is way worse, and we will take a look at other federal agencies as we grow in this podcast, but I was just really taken aback that's almost 10 billion dollars that they get almost every year. And here's the thing, you know, federal agencies are very similar to state agencies in that they never ask for less money. It's always more and more because see here here's the sad thing about this. If ever they look at their their department, they say, "Well, we don't really we don't really need to ask for that much money." Here's the thing, if they ask for less money one year and then they ask for more money the next year, it looks bad on them because then the senate or the congress is saying well why do you need more money now is something going on see that is one of the problems with these federal agencies and these state agencies they i'm not defending them per se but i'm not shaming and blaming them either i'm just saying that they get demonized if ever they say hey we don't need as much money you know let's just operate on this this amount But then if ever their their resources change or if ever they have more employees or you know something changes within their department that they do need more money then it looks bad on their department to request more money. That's wrong. If a department needs money, if they need funds and it is for good reasons, 
and it's for ethical moral reasons and they need it for their department they should not fear asking for money because it's their job to be paid for the services that they are providing so i understand where these federal agencies and state agencies because this happens at a state level as well i understand why they why they fear asking for less money or lowering their budget it it just really concerns them a lot so th- there's a disconnect and this is really sad there's a disconnect between federal agencies and the congress as well as federal agencies and the senate and i don't mean that that they should be connected per se but i just mean that there there's kind of this super thick wall between them and there there should be a wall because they have different responsibilities and things of that nature but here's the thing they have to work together they're on the same team they're on the team of the united states and they're on the team of the federal government like they are all federal employees technically so i think they need to work well with each other not demonize each other and help each other out you know just kind of i don't know how to describe this but i mean you know there's a difference between giving someone the benefit of the doubt and just always assuming they're wrong now he, here's the here's the catch 22 with giving someone the benefit of the doubt sometimes you've got really bad people that um will take advantage of that hey i'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that's why we have rules laws and regulations and policies and procedures in place so that even though you know you give someone the benefit of the doubt whatever they request has to meet this criteria and that's how it should be i mean you can still assume the best about somebody you can still enjoy working with them but you know i'm always thankful whenever there are policies and procedures that that protect the employee they protect the employer but they also protect the the interpersonal relationships within the office So that way it's not just someone saying, well, they don't like me, so that's why I'm not getting promoted or they don't like me and that's why we're not getting funds. No. When you set up policies and procedures, you set up a set standard of what is the protocol for this particular situation. Because that takes the pressure off of almost everyone, really. So then it's not favoritism. I just feel like sometimes federal agencies they they're not always given the benefit of the doubt but also people are not following the policies and procedures that are set in place to help each other so to speak so it's one of those things that i'm not saying that give someone the benefit of the doubt and just give them all the money i'm not saying that at all because that would be very unethical but i'm saying that sometimes these federal agencies um they do not get along well with congress they do not get along with with the senate And I find that really odd because we're all Americans. Like we're on team USA. Like we need to put our differences aside and focus on our individual jobs, focus on our department, and then we need to do what we can to to get along with other people in other departments. Unfortunately, within the federal government, a lot of these federal agencies, and I'm not just talking about the FBI, the EPA is guilty of this as well. I'm sure there are a whole lot of other federal agencies that we're going to cover that they have this issue too there's bureaucracy in Washington DC like when when president trump was talking about draining the swamp that's what he was talking about 
He was talking about the stranglehold that these bureaucracies have on the American people, the hold that they have on Washington D.C., and unfortunately the hold that they have on our rules, laws, regulations, and our tax dollars. So it's almost like you know, Washington D.C. It's it's a cesspool, really. Um, and that's very unfortunate because it's our nation's capital. It shouldn't be like that. But unfortunately, they get people in there that stay in power too long, and we will discover that here with the FBI because they've had some problems in the past with people staying in power too long. And here's the thing: it doesn't matter if they did good or bad things. That's not what it's about. I mean, yes, that's a concern when they do bad things. But what I'm saying is that when you have someone in power and they're there too long, and you don't have a set a limited amount of years that someone can serve in a in a federal agency, you know, a federal position so to speak, a federal job title. That's when a lot of mistakes start to happen and stuff gets swept under the rug. And that's not just one particular agency. That can happen even in state agencies. We have discovered that. That's why there needs to be a change of management. So I just wanted to make that clear because You know, we are going to we are going to be discussing different federal agencies, and then eventually we will discuss state agencies. But I just want to be clear about that: that this is not shaming and blaming. On this show, we just say it like it is. We call a spade a spade. We do not show favoritism of any kind. You know, I do everything I can to give people the benefit of the doubt, even when I'm reading something about them that is factual that doesn't look very good. I always try and find the positive, even in a bad situation or whenever reading a bad report, because you know if we don't try and find the good in this world, we are totally screwed. And I don't like, I don't like having that kind of mindset that oh, it's it's everything's bad. No, everything is good. It's just sometimes bad things happen. So we need to keep our chin up, and we need to keep. I I, I hesitate to say open mind, but we just need to. Not open mind. I don't like that because sometimes when when people think, oh, you have an open mind, they think you're a free for all, and you're a socialist, and that you know a guy can have as many wives as he wants, and um, you know you can just do whatever you want whenever you want. And it's like, no, that's not what having an open mind means at all. But anyway, um, I think just practicing that due diligence, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So let's go ahead and dive in a little bit more. So it says here the Federal Bureau of Investigation, also known as the FBI, is the domestic intelligence and security service of the United States. Now let me let me stop right there. I did not know it was domestic intelligence and security service. I thought it was more international. Maybe I've watched too many movies with FBI agents or something. But you know, I was surprised by that. So I'm learning just as much as you guys are. So it is a domestic intelligence and security service of the United States. And its principal federal law enforcement agency, operating under the jurisdiction of the United States Department of Justice, the FBI is also a member of the U.S. intelligence community, and reports to both the Attorney General and the Director of National Intelligence. It says here it is a leading U.S. counterterrorism, counterintelligence, and criminal investigative organization. The FBI has jurisdiction over violations of more than 200 categories of federal crimes. Now think about that. Over 200 categories of federal crimes. Now, categories. There's probably a bumper crop of offenses within each category. So, just imagine all the training and all the information that FBI agents have to know. That's a lot of information. That's like asking 
a surgeon to know how to perform over 200 different procedures and then some. You know, we don't do that in the medical field. I mean, that would just be stupidity because then you would have a bunch of people not really knowing how to perform a very serious medical procedure, right? But in the Federal Bureau of Investigation, their agents have to know all this stuff. That's very intense, I would think. I mean, to me, it would almost be like continuously being in school all the time. I mean, cuz I mean, if you think about, you know, all the laws that are out there, and we'll take a look at all the different types of federal crimes and the categories. I mean, that would be very interesting to know, right? Because again, knowledge is power. But it's one of those things that Obviously the FBI covers a lot of territory, a lot. And you know, think of it this way. It's just territory domestically. So that includes the 50 United States and our territories, which are few and far between, right? So, but they handle all of the United States, all of those federal crimes, all those categories, all those violations. That is a lot of work. That's why I'm so surprised they only have little a little over 35,000 employees. I'm not saying I think they should have more per se, but I just think considering what all that they do and what they have to know, I'm just surprised they don't have more employment. I'm I'm surprised by that, but you know, perhaps they have a process and a procedure where they know how to train people quickly and efficiently so that they do know all this stuff because I would imagine this stuff is nothing new to them. It may be new to us, you know, just regular everyday citizens, but to them it's their job. It's their everyday job, right? So Obviously they they should know what they're doing based on their training and I would imagine the majority of them do know what they're doing because you know as we will see later on the podcast their training is very intensive it is not easy and they only pick certain people to become federal agents which I'm grateful for that because I wish police departments were as rigorous in their training and in their application process as they are with FBI agents because I think we have way too many dirty cops in the United States. And I say this from as someone that lives in Oklahoma because we've had a lot of bad cops here. We're getting better at hiring better people, but sometimes um the police force is like the boys club or a frat house and they just hire you know based on the buddy buddy system or something and it's like no, you can't do that. Um everything needs to be on the up and up. So it's kind of one of those things that I think things could be better within all law enforcement agencies and I think that the training and the um the application process should be stricter just like the FBI but for regular police force and for sheriff department uh, sheriff departments excuse me sorry my mouth is really dry Oklahoma it's been really hot hold on just a second Okay so I'm drinking a protein shake and it is super cool so awesome tastes really good Okay, so my point is this. It seems to me like the hiring process for police officers and sheriff departments, they are subpar in my opinion. And I say that with the utmost respect because I've met some wonderful sheriffs, I've met some wonderful police officers. It's just whenever we get bad apples in those departments, it makes all of them look bad. And I can't stand that because not all law enforcement are bad. But it's just people are quick to be really horrible to police officers, they're quick to be horrible to sheriffs. They're quick to be mean and hateful to our military, and they're quick to be mean to anybody at all that works in law enforcement. And I think that's a huge mistake because you know, here's the thing. Let's say for example, there is a huge scandal um uh, by some CPA firm up in New York, and I'm just making this up. I don't know anything. Um 
But let's say there's a big scandal with a prestigious CPA firm based out of New York. Well, would it be appropriate for people to shame and blame accountants in other states and in other areas just because of this one CPA firm that screwed up and maybe stole from people's tax refunds, you know, things of that nature? No, like the crime is it, it, how to describe this. The offense belongs to the person who committed the offense. It does not belong to the entire industry. And it does not belong to the entire segment of that population that lives there. See, it's kind of like shaming and blaming, like guilty by association. You know, I remember having that issue um, in my hometown when I was growing up, and I hate it. We had some very judgmental, hateful cops. It's like they were always on a tear, even against little kids. It was bizarre. And I'll give an example. Sorry, now I have the hiccups. But, um, I was probably, I know I was a minor and I couldn't drive yet. So I think I was in the fifth or sixth grade. I don't think I was in middle school. But in my hometown, we had a movie theater, a really large one. And it was really cool. And you could go for like 50 cents, which was awesome, right? So a lot of times before malls were popular and people just dumping their kids off there stupidly, uh, parents would drop their kids off to go see a movie at the movie theater. And then us kids, we would, we would walk over to this bookstore And I loved it because I would pick out different books that I would want to buy with my allowance money because I was in a book club um, within the bookstore. And it was really cool because I, I read books like crazy throughout the entire summer. And I just loved it. Like I would catch up on all my reading in the summer months. So me and my friends uh, from church were sitting outside on a, on a, I guess, a park bench or something outside this bookstore. And we're waiting for my mom to come pick us up, which was very common. Like people knew that. You know, kids would go to like an afternoon movie or a five or seven o'clock movie. We didn't go to the late night movies because that was that was considered too late for minors to be out. Like at that time, you could get in trouble with the police back then. Not so much now. Right. Which is kind of strange. But anyway, it was common knowledge in the town that that's just what you did. You, know, you dropped your kids off at the movie theater um, and then, you know, you knew the adults that worked there. So they kind of you know, watched out for your kids or whatever. And then after the movie was over, we would walk over next door to the bookstore and we would go and look at all the books or the movies that were there. And then, you know, once we were done looking at all that stuff, we would step outside, sit on the park bench and wait for one of our parents to come pick us up. And so we were just being good little citizens. Right. So we're sitting out there and there is this cop. He was known for being hateful in town, hateful, just a hateful. You know what? He should have never been a cop. And it's like he would be driving around town with this glare on this, you know, with a glare on his face. And it's like he was looking, he was looking for trouble. He wasn't defending citizens and protecting them. He was looking for trouble. He was trying to cause trouble. And that's what he did this night. And he was notorious for this. So anyway, us kids were sitting outside this building, just a normal bookstore in a small town. And we're waiting for my mom to come pick us up. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know, six or eight kids. It wasn't a lot, but, you know, we were kind of squeezed on this bench or whatever. And we're just talking about church and we're talking about, you know, the books we want to read. You know, just kid stuff at that time because we didn't have sex ed, you know, when we were five years old like they do now, which is disturbing and sick. So we're sitting there and this bad cop pulls up. He yells at us from the car window. He rolls down the passenger car window And yells at us, you get out of here. And we're just like, we're looking around like, who is he yelling at? Like, we thought maybe he was yelling at like a pervert 
or a homeless guy or someone, you're like maybe a druggie because drugs were a problem a little bit in our town, not as much as later in time. But anyway, he yelled at us. He said, you get out of here. You're not supposed to be here. And we're just like staring at him because we're, we're kids. Like we're, we're scared because this cop is yelling at us. He's glaring at us, has this hateful facial expression. And usually cops are supposed to be nice and kind and gentle to children. This guy was not. He was a hater. It was weird. And then he yells at us, you have to get out of here. I'm going to write you up for loitering. And knowing me, I, I just kind of state the obvious, but I think out loud, unfortunately. And I said, what's loitering? And he just got so angry and starts yelling at us. And I was like, well, sir, sir, you know, we don't know what loitering is. I don't know what that word is. You know, if you, if you tell us what the word means, you know, we'll stop. But, you know, sir, we're just waiting for my mom to come pick us up. You know, because, you know, we just walked over from the movie. And the more I tried to explain why we were there, because he didn't want to hear it, because he was on a mission to do evil. He was a very, very horrible, wicked, evil cop. Cannot think of his name, but I'll never forget his face. Um, but anyway, he just kept yelling at us. And eventually he drove off. And just as he drove off... My mom pulls up, and man, we ran towards my mother's car. We ran. So my mother's like, what is going on? Because she saw this cop car parked in front of the bookstore, and this guy is yelling at us, and he could see that us kids were leaning forward, and, and we're talking to this guy, and we have this look of concern on our face. And so then the cop takes off, and, and so... We get in the car, and my mom goes, you know, what happened? And I said, well, that cop accused us of loitering. And we're all like, what's loitering? We, we don't know what that is. Did we break the law? And my mom goes, oh, you got to be kidding me. She goes, ignore it. She goes, that, she goes, you are not loitering. You're waiting for your parent to come pick you up. Don't worry about it. She goes, just ignore him. She goes, if ever, if ever he does that again, you go inside the bookstore And talk to the manager and have the manager of the store come out and talk to that cop because he should have never been yelling at you guys like that. He was behaving inappropriately. And she, you know, she didn't call him a bad cop, but she said, hey, just be aware, sometimes adults behave in a bad way. And if ever someone's making you feel uncomfortable, it doesn't matter if they're a cop, a firefighter, a teacher, someone at church, doesn't matter who they are. If there is an adult that is making you uncomfortable, you go report it immediately to somebody. And then you have them call us at home. And we're just like, okay. And you know what? I guess um, the store manager, he found out about what he, he did to us kids, that cop. And I think he went off on that cop and said, don't you ever yell at those kids again. They're waiting for their parents. They're waiting here because it's a safe place for children. And you know what? We never saw that cop again, um, at least patrolling through that side of the parking lot. He was still a jerk to people at the movie theater there, but it was just like, man, this guy, he's on a mission from hell, that's for sure. But anyway, I just want to be clear that, you know, there are good cops and bad cops. And I'll give an example of a good cop. Um, when I was in high school, we had a cop that was considered, I don't know if he was considered like a, an on-duty cop for like specifically the high school. I don't know um, if that was... The usual thing by that time, because I'm trying to think when Columbine happened, like the shooting. I think that happened when my sister was in high school and I was in middle school. So I think after that, they started putting cops or police officers 
uh, at different high schools across the United States just to protect the kids and the staff and things like that. And so anyway, there was this this cop. He was a policeman. Um, he was at our high school, and he would walk the halls, and you know, we'd say hi, officer so and so. And I can't remember his name because I hardly ever spoke to him because I was mostly just trying to get to class. But he was a good cop. Like it, it actually kind of made us feel safer because um, our school. One of the things that they did after Columbine was they had to completely change the inside of the school so that if a shooter was there, that the doors were bulletproof. and shatterproof and that they tried to remove as much glass as possible so basically i remember the year that they did that because i remember when i um was in high school like one year our high school looked normal and then the next year we walk into our high school and it looks like a mental institution i mean it was really creepy it's like wow so because of that stupid shooting it ruined high school it just it changed everything it was horrible so um it was one of those things that A lot of things changed with Columbine and you know the the local police forces I I think they did what they could in that situation in regards to Columbine and then also local police forces in you know the rest of the United States they did what they could and I think they're still doing what they can to protect the students and so I'm very grateful for for the work that they do because the one cop that was at our high school you know we knew that no one was getting in that building You know, no one was getting in that building to do anything bad or evil to us and he would shoot them. He would shoot them dead on the spot. It's not just wound them, it's he's taking them out. And that brought us comfort because um we knew that not all of our teachers had guns. I knew of like one or two teachers that they always had a gun either on them or hidden in their desk that they would have locked up. Um because there are some teachers that, you know, they they kept a gun in their desk even before Columbine happened. because sometimes we had some really weird adults in our town and you know sometimes we didn't always know what these funky adults were going to do and so um you know they you know we had some really smart teachers back then and they were not scared to carry a weapon and they knew how to handle a weapon and that brought us comfort as well as kids because you know you know we're not allowed to own, you know at that time at least I don't think kids are allowed to own guns I'm pretty sure you still have to be age 18 I'll look that up because I don't know if anything has changed. But anyway, um, it brought us comfort as kids because you know children typically don't have a gun, and you know we don't even know how to fire one. You know, typically at that age, and so it really made us feel safer because we had Columbine happen, and then 9/11 happened when I was in high school. We have to think about all the tragic events that happened when I was a, a minor. Um, anyway. Um, You know there there are good cops in in every town, every city, every state. So, you know whenever we're talking about different um law enforcement agencies and things of that nature, I just want to be very clear. This is not to shame or blame. These are just facts. This is just make the information available and just talk about it because the information is available. We have freedom of speech in the United States and that's protected by the US Constitution. And so You know, it's one of those things that, you know, it's easy to think about all the people that have wronged us or hurt us or people we don't like, which is why I always try and find something positive about people that I do like. And I try and find a positive example because if all we ever do is focus on the bad, then we're going to think that this this world is a completely bad place and there's nothing good anymore, which is the complete opposite, right? Like we know that, you know, we we have a well first of all we have a heavenly father. He he's good and kind to us. 
He gave us this world. He gave us this planet. Technically, he gave us the entire solar system. So, I mean, that's the gift of our heavenly Father. So, everything that God gives us is good, right? So, I've learned that just because something bad happens, it's not a reflection necessarily of the entire human race, of, you know, a town, of a city, of a state, um, you know, of the entire country, and it for sure is not a reflection of our heavenly Father. So, I think we need to take this stuff into consideration whenever we are discussing things that, you know, may ruffle a, a little feathers, you know, it's just You know, I've learned over the years it's better to practice not being offended. You know, I read a book called, I think it's called Unoffendable, if I remember correctly. It's a great book. I encourage you to read it because it's it really opened my eyes to how offended sometimes Americans are at every little thing. And I think it's better to be unoffendable, meaning you know who you are. and you know your world, you know your life. I mean, you you know your your skill sets and things of that nature. So if you know who you are and what you like to do, what you don't like to do, then we shouldn't be walking around offended all the time. Excellent book, really opened my eyes. Really opened my eyes because I know there have been several time frames in my life where I was just irritated all the time. And I was offended about every little thing, and I just thought that's how life was. because I was like, "Oh, I don't like that." You know, I don't like that. You know, that kind of thing. But I realized that the more I focused on the things I don't like, the more offended I was at every little thing that happened. And I was like, "You know, that's a really stressful way to live and that's not pleasant. It's not good on your heart, your lungs or your brain." So, needless to say, it's always better to look for the positive even when things are tough. And I'll give an example of this before I move on um, with talking about the FBI. I heard an episode of Joel Olstein. It was one of his uh, messages. I forget the name of it, but of course it was really good. And he talked about how there was this one girl. She worked for like a television station, and she was a, a reporter. And during one of the hurricanes, I guess that hit Houston or something, um, her boss um, from the television station sent her out with the specific task of finding the Debbie Downer stories. Find me people that are sad, depressed, heartbroken. Well, guess what? She went looking for people to find Debbie Downer stories, and um, she couldn't find anyone that was Debbie Downer. They all had hope. They all had faith, and it wasn't that they all went to Lakewood. That wasn't it at all. It's that every single person she interviewed, like none of these people really knew each other. your per se but they all had hope they all had faith and they all believed in the goodness of god and they all knew that they were going to get through this tough event that that had occurred which was a really serious hurricane and she's like well i can't find anyone that's got a debbie downer story so she saw joel and victoria olstein and so she went and interviewed them and you know of course they have very uplifting kind words and you know they're they're they basically have boots on the ground so to speak with the organization and they're helping out and that kind of thing and so she interviewed them and did a story about um you know all the positive work that's being done and how people are helping each other out and they know they're going to get through this and it it would have been a really good uplifting story right so she turns in her work to her boss and it angered her boss and he's like I don't want this I told you to get me sad stories Debbie Downer stories basically and you you've brought me nothing but this positive stuff. And she goes, "Well, I couldn't find anybody that was 
upset like what you're talking about like people were kind to each other they wanted to help each other they were they were working through it and they knew that they were going to be okay and then um basically long story short she was fired she was fired for her work for her um interviewing people that they weren't sad enough or miserable enough well she she got fired well then her story was seen by a different company and they loved her work and so they offered her an amazing job where she makes way more money and she actually does what she really wants to do which is um documentary type stuff and so she got a way better job and see here's the thing you know yes that tough situation was horrible you know like a hurricane i'm sure people died you know people didn't have electricity they didn't have running water but you know people came together and were helping each other they they were trying to see the good even in a tough situation that doesn't mean they liked the hurricane that doesn't mean they embraced the hurricane that doesn't mean they think that people deserved a hurricane that's not what it means what it means is that they all those people basically stepped up to the plate put their their likes and dislikes aside and they were just there for each other and they knew that they would get through that that tough event so it's one of those things that you know tough situations can happen and i love what kenneth copeland says he says tough times don't last but tough people do that is wonderful i love that phrase and it's very much a true testament to how most people are. Most people want to do what's right and most people do what's right. That's why I don't think it's good to assume that everything is bad, everybody's a criminal or or everybody's a horrible human being. Don't ever believe that. Don't ever believe that. First of all, that's what the enemy wants you to think. And then number 2, it's not healthy to think that everything is bad. It just is not because then then you will not enjoy what God has given you. And and that's not gosh that that's just such a gift to not enjoy what God has given you. I mean God is blessing us every day of our life and we need to embrace that blessing not turn it away. So anyway, if anything, you know, the United States is very blessed to have the FBI. And I'm not kidding, it really warmed my heart when I read their motto, fidelity, bravery and integrity. It warmed my heart. I didn't know they had a motto and when I read that I was like, "Oh man, I wish everybody had that motto." I wish everybody had that at the forefront of their mind when they go to work. I don't care if it's in the private sector, the public sector, a labor union, a trade union, military, housewife, you know, working at a daycare or you work at a hospital or maybe you know, you work in construction or something or maybe you're unemployed and you're trying to find a job. or maybe you know you're on disability. You know, this is a great model to have because it's so uplifting. It's just so uplifting. I was so taken aback by it. Because you know, typically whenever we hear about the FBI, it's hardly ever positive. So I think it's great to have a model like that. And you know what? It just it just really made me think about them differently. It's not that I thought they were horrible, but I just thought, you know, I think there's I think there's more good to the FBI than we realize. And there may be some that go, "Wow, Leslie, you're just now figuring that out." Well, here's the thing. Um there are bad people in every agency, and unfortunately, like I said, it's the bad apples that 
bring all the wrong kind of attention to an agency. That's why you have to get rid of the bad apples. That's why you need to fire them immediately. Do not put them on administrative leave or paid administrative leave. Fire them. That's one of the biggest mistakes a law enforcement agency can make is put a bad person that's being investigated on paid administrative leave. It just doesn't look good. And I know from living here in Oklahoma and I've said this before, one of the biggest things that really bugs Oklahomans is that like a bad cop will surface, a story will surface about them. And it will come out that, you know, they they basically already have evidence of what this person did. It's usually bad male cops. There there are very few uh bad cops that are female. I'm not saying they don't exist, but they tend to be male and they tend to be really bad when they're bad male cops, right? So anyway, usually what tends to hit the fan so to speak in terms of a news story is that the police department was very much aware that this cop was bad and it's just now that more stuff has been brought to light, now they it's like now they have to do something about it. Whereas they could have done something about it the moment this person was behaving in a bad or unethical or unprofessional manner. But one of the biggest mistakes that law enforcement agencies make is they put bad people on paid administrative leave when they should just fire them. They don't deserve pay. If they've been doing really bad stuff and they already have evidence of that bad stuff, they don't deserve a paycheck from from tax dollars, whether it's state, federal, or local. They just don't. As I've said before in times past, in the private sector, bad people at companies don't get put on paid administrative leave while the company is investigating someone they already know what happened they already have the evidence they just fire the person so i think you know these law enforcement agencies i think they would be run better and i think they would be viewed in a more positive light if they took a leaf out of the book of the private sector and how those companies operate because i think it's very important to do what's right at all times first of all but secondly the moment you find out someone is doing something wrong or bad i think it's very important cuz it's one of those things you don't want those things to creep up on you but but if you allow them to creep up on you then you have no one to blame but you know yourself or poor decision making which is really sad cuz a lot of this stuff that happens can easily be avoided my personal opinion a lot of it can easily be avoided you know people are not perfect So being that we know people are not perfect, that should make us all more aware that hey, it's important that we address issues immediately and not wait. We cannot afford to stick our head in the sand or sweep things under the rug. I think we should just be aware of that and you have that at the forefront of our mind. You handle stuff immediately, don't procrastinate, don't put it off. Cuz I know whenever I procrastinate on having a a conversation with someone that we need to have, it makes my heart feel sick. Like I feel physically ill because I'm dreading it and I'm like I've learned don't allow that to happen. Speak to that person immediately when something happens. If there's an issue, go talk to them immediately, be cool, calm and cool, you know, be professional about it, but address it immediately because here's another thing, it's not just about us. It's about the person that has committed the offense, right? Like you want to give them a chance to either A stop what they're doing, B apologize or C, you know, make sure they are aware that what they're doing is wrong and give them a chance to change. You know, give them a chance to be like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I you know, I didn't mean to do that XYZ." And I'm talking about like in 
in a uh, office environment. Of course, we were talking about crimes at a state or federal level. You know, a police officer, a, a police officer is not going to someone to give them a chance to apologize. They're going to someone to, in, to uh, interrogate them and to interview them to ask, "Hey, did you or did you not do this? If so, why?" And charges are going to be pressed. You know, there, there's a difference, a difference in the mindset and a difference in well, not just the mindset, but um, on what they're supposed to do, because that's what law enforcement officers are supposed to do. Because otherwise, um, what are they being trained to do? They're trained to go after people that commit crime, and that's how they're supposed to handle it. However, the one thing I don't like is that you know they go after citizens really quick, but they don't go after each other really quick to investigate things and things of that nature. And I think that really destroys any agency, whether it's federal or state. My personal opinion, just what I've noticed over the years. But let's go ahead and dive in a little bit more. Um, so let me see here. It says the FBI has 56 field offices um, scattered throughout uh, the United States, mostly in major cities. And then they have more than 400 resident agencies in smaller cities and areas across the nation. Let's see. At a FBI field office, a senior level FBI, FBI officer concurrently serves as the representative of the director of national intelligence. So they have management there. So I think it's one of those things where I think it's good to have a manager there. Like you need to have someone in charge, someone that calls the shots, because then it'll, it will turn into uh, too many chiefs, not enough Indians, kind of thing. And I've I've worked for people that have behaved that way, and I'm just like, can we please just get a good manager that keeps these people in line? Because this stuff just gets so old. Okay, so moving on. It says, um, despite its domestic focus, the FBI also maintains a significant international footprint, operating 60 legal attached. I don't know what that word is. Uh, offices. in 15 sub offices of US embassies and consulates across the globe. And I do want to mention this in regards to US embassies and consulates. Um there was a scandal in regards to um uh, Hillary Clinton, and I think it was Benghazi, where um she was um was it Secretary of State if I remember her her title correctly when she was uh working under uh, President Barack Obama. Um she basically um left one of our Um, well, she left one of our embassies wide open to being attacked, and some of our um, U.S. citizens and U.S. personnel were murdered, brutally murdered. And the guy um, that was actually at one of these uh, embassies over in, um, I think it was Benghazi. I think that was it. I'll double check because I haven't researched that in a long time. But anyway, one of the head guys that was at one of these embassies over there in the Middle East, he multiple times put in a request for uh backup military personnel because there was word on the street that they were going to be brutally attacked. And um Hillary Clinton denied his request multiple times. And people trying to say, "Well, that was her office doing that." It doesn't matter. She's responsible for that, and you cannot tell me she did not know. And you can't tell me that she was not the person that said no to that guy. So needless to say this guy was brutally murdered. I don't know if he was decapitated or not or beheaded, but it was pretty brutal what happened to his body and um some of his staff there. And there were actually um we actually had military over there in the Middle East that could have gone in um if they had been given the order and they could have gone in and protected that guy and the embassy and um that did not happen. So what did end up happening is that there were these American soldiers that were over there. I can't remember if they were like Black Hawk agents or what. Um but they were really good um 
I guess like Marines or something, they went in on their own and tried to help save this guy. And I can't remember if one of them was killed or not, but I do know a couple of them were wounded. But these were tough guys. I mean like super tough. Like if you're in danger, these are the guys that you want to come in and protect you and go after your enemy. I mean, they are amazing military personnel. Well, they went in anyway and tried to help save this guy and help save some Americans um, or save all the Americans that were there. And um they they knew that it, it was a slim to none chance of having a successful mission, so to speak. but they went in anyway because they're Americans and they're military and they know that we don't leave anyone behind. Hillary Clinton left these people behind. Um and then um she got called out on it in a Senate hearing. I'll never forget what she said. She was asked about it. And she pulled the girl card basically and yelled at one of the senators and said, "What difference does it make now?" It's like, "Wow. It makes all the difference because Americans were murdered." And you, and you would think that someone um, that is in a how to describe this is in a government job has a title and is responsible for the safety of the United States in a way you would think she would value the lives of Americans she does not and she did not. This is why one of the reasons why I think she did not become president. I'm so glad she was not elected president. It would have been horrible. absolutely horrible because she's she's incompetent. This is you're running a country is not her forte. It's not her her gift, it's not her talent. I think there's other things that she's good at. Um but I think that she has a pretty large character flaw because she let she let Americans die and they were brutally murdered, brutally. Like I don't even know if the families of the people that were murdered Um I don't even know if they got their bodies back and if so what condition they were in. I just don't know. Um but it's one of those things that you know when you know that there's danger in another country you're supposed to protect your your personnel over there. You don't just leave them high and dry and I can only imagine how terrifying it was for the Americans that were left to be basically sitting ducks in that in that US embassy over there. because it was basically uh set on fire and the people that were in there were were tortured and murdered and um our head of state or secretary of state whatever her name is uh Hillary Clinton um did nothing and still doesn't care about it makes all these excuses and just like wow that's definitely not someone that you want to be in charge of your country or in charge of your your military cuz she's not going to know what to do i don't think she's ever known what to do I just I think it's really concerning. But anyway, moving on. It says these foreign offices exist primarily for the purpose of coordination with foreign security services and do not usually conduct uh unilateral operations in the host countries. The FBI can and does at times carry out secret activities overseas. That's what I thought they specialized in was international stuff, but I was wrong. Just as the CIA has a limited domestic function, I didn't know that. These activities generally require coordination across government agencies. I'm not surprised by that. It says here the FBI was established in 1908 as the Bureau of Investigation, otherwise known as the BOI or BI for short. Its name was changed to the Federal Bureau of Investigation in 1935. If I had to guess, I bet it was changed to that because I bet they wanted it to be clear that this is a federal agency, not a state agency. And plus the federal government was growing. So they probably want a clear distinction of 
you know, what is their job function going to be and who do they report to kind of thing. It says the FBI headquarters is the J. Edgar Hoover Building located in Washington, D.C. Let's see here. Da-da-da. Their agency director is Christopher A. Ray. I think that's W-R-A-Y. He is the director. They have other deputy directors, but I'm not going to go through that big old list. Their parent agency is the Department of Justice, Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Now, this is really cool what their mission is. It says the mission of the FBI is, quote, protect the American people and uphold the Constitution of the United States. Now, here's the thing. The FBI has no, not always protected the American people or upheld the Constitution of the United States. So here's the thing. Um, there's 9-11, um, and then there is, you know, other, I'm trying to think, what was the other thing that happened? Um, oh, the thing that happened in Waco, Texas. Um, there's, there's been some mistakes that the FBI has made. Um, So they have not always done a good job of protecting the American people. Um, but I do know this, a lot has changed within the FBI, um, not only with management, but also with technology and what they have access to to help protect Americans. Now, in that same token, the FBI has not always upheld the Constitution of the United States. Um, and that's very unfortunate. And here's how and why. And again, this is not to ruffle feathers. This is just facts. This is just stuff that has occurred. So we're not shaming and blaming. We're just saying it like it is because if we have to call a spade a spade in other areas, we have to do that all across the board. You know, we can't play favoritism here. So um, sometimes what the FBI does is it acts like it is above the law when it's trying to enforce the law, and that's a big mistake. One of the things that it has gotten in trouble for was is called the, I'm trying to think what it's called, sneak and peek is what it's called. That is where the FBI gives itself permission to break into someone's home or house, go through all their stuff, and then leave um, when the person, let me say this, they break into someone's home whenever they are not there, and they go through all their stuff, and then they don't inform the homeowner or the person they're investigating until several weeks afterwards. And that's very wrong because usually, you know, law enforcement has to have a warrant, a writ, a subpoena, or something, some kind of legal document giving them legal permission from the courts to do that. Well, they do not have permission to do that. It is against the Constitution. Here's why it's against the Constitution. Here, in, let me say this. You know, the FBI can have you know, wonderful intentions for doing that. They may suspect, you know, suspect something very um, heinous going on or something very dangerous. But here's the thing. What they're doing is actually what the British did to the colonists when the monarchy sent a basically military policing over here to the 13 colonies. And they were policing the colonists, being really cruel to them, and they actually took away their arms. They, they took away their, their, their weaponry. So that way they could not defend themselves. They took away their firearms, excuse me. And so um, that was very much a violation to those colonists, and they knew that they were being policed. And so that was going on before the American Revolution and then during the American Revolution. And this is why we have the, the Constitution of the United States. It's to prevent tyranny like that. It's to prevent policing by the government and harassing people, harassing the citizens. Because you know, our, our founding fathers and our forefathers, they knew what could happen because a lot of you know, I think here's what people forget. Our founding fathers of the United States, they went through the American Revolution. They survived it. They endured it. 
That's why they wrote the Constitution of the United States in the way that they did. They wanted true liberty and true freedom for all. So, I think we need to stick to what the Constitution says because whenever you start making exceptions to the rule, you're breaking the law and you're basically tearing up the Constitution of the United States. And that's not right. So unfortunately, you know, with these federal agencies that break the law like that, typically what they do is they get a manager in charge that is willing to push the envelope just a little bit. Like they're not being completely unethical, but they're being unethical. You know, that's a reflection of the management and a reflection of the department and the agency, unfortunately. But here's the thing, they hire people that do that. You know, it goes back to what I said earlier in the podcast where I said, you know what? The moment someone starts doing something really bad, they need to be reprimanded or they need to be fired. Because whatever you tolerate is what you allow them to contaminate because whatever they do, whether it's good, bad or ugly, is a reflection of everyone in that department. It's a reflection of everyone in that office. It's a reflection of everyone in that agency. And if it is a poor reflection, it's very difficult for that reflection to become good. or to be seen as good. So I would think that they would not want to risk that, but also I would think that they would want to honor the constitution of the United States. Now here's another problem. And I'm going to stand up because I I've, I've been sitting for almost an hour. Another problem, and we have discussed this a little bit, a touched on and I still need to look this up. Um one of the problems is whenever you get the court system involved and you've got people on the court, especially the Supreme Court that pass stuff or make decisions that are unlawful and illegal. And one of the things the Supreme Court did was it gave law enforcement permission to lie. Well, here's the thing, all that did was open the window to a whole bunch of bad behavior. So, it's kind of like they give themselves they they give themselves permission to do what they want when they want, however they want sometimes. And you know, this is just the stuff that we are aware of. There's probably other stuff that we're not aware of. So that's why it's important to uphold all of the laws of the land and that it be practiced and implemented um how to describe this with equality. You're practicing that due diligence. Like if I have to follow the law, then so is everybody else, including the FBI, state police, everybody. Like that's just you know, when you're a citizen of a country, you're supposed you're supposed to follow all those laws. You know, I think it's a mistake for the Supreme Court to give anybody permission to be unethical because that that shows you the um the lack of judgment that some of our judges have and that's very sad so hopefully you know they'll wake up to the fact that that was very much a poor decision and maybe they will repeal that because it's it's a big problem but anyway um for the most part i think the fbi they do protect the american people and for the most part they do uphold the constitution it's just sometimes you've got these bad apples that make all of them look bad. So, just FYI, be aware of that. In terms of their priorities, here's a list. It says to protect the United States from terrorist attacks. Well, they failed on that with 9/11. And they failed on that um with that couple that came over here. Was it from South Africa or Africa or somewhere? Where was it? It was a Muslim couple. Um they came came over here and um try to remember if they if that was the try to remember if that was the story that Obama You know, I think President Obama was president, and um, I think he called it workplace violence. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me! There's something that happened. There was a couple that came over. 
And um, they, they were really cruel, and they murdered some Americans. Oh, and then there was a guy that was actually in our military that was Muslim. He opened fire on everybody in, like, the mess hall or something. And I'm like, this is why I don't think you should have Muslims in our, in our military, because they are not loyal to the United States. If someone is reading the Quran and they believe in that, hey, that's fine, but they cannot serve in the military. I don't think they should be serving in any way, shape, or form in a... Um, In a United States, how do I describe this? In a, in a, how do I describe this? I'm trying to think. In our military or a, a political office because they're, they're not loyal to the United States. They're, they're loyal to their religion, which is a cult. And you can tell because of how they treat women and children. And again, if this offends you, I don't care because we have to call a spade a spade, right? I mean, some of the most gruesome um, human rights violations come out of Muslim countries. And it's usually how they treat women and children, particularly uh, little girls. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. It says, uh, another priority is protect the United States against foreign intelligence operations, espionage, and cyber operations. Let's see here. Combat significant cyber criminal activity. Um, they haven't really done that in regards to Russia. And I don't mean the election, um, because I don't think Russia had, had anything to do with our election. I'm talking about the cyber attacks that um, there are some Russian groups that they, they target different companies within the private sector. I don't think the FBI is combating that as well as they could be. Um, so I think there needs to be better IT people in that. But see, here's the thing. How do I describe this? Like, I've met some really creepy IT people over the years, and it's just like, wow, this is who we're putting in charge of our data and our security. No bueno, I don't trust them. Um, here's the bad thing with IT Uh, people and who you hire. Okay, so I've noticed there are typically two different types of employees for IT. There are the people that um, they're not the best and the brightest, um, but somehow they move their way up and they do you know, a, a fairly good job, but they get like a, a government contractor job and um, they move their way up and then these are some of the ones that sometimes will they'll come across information um, like military secrets and they think, from their puny, stupid, ignorant, moronic brain, that they should release this information to the public. And you know, they think they're being a do-gooder, but they're really not. They're actually putting the safety of the United States in jeopardy, so they release this information that actually puts um, Americans at risk and our military at risk for being murdered. So you've got that. You've got some ignorant, incompetent, not always the cream of the crop people doing things like that. It's like they think they're, a, what's it called, a, a, a vigilante or whatever, And, um, you know, they think that, oh, freedom of speech, I should release this. No, no, some things are sealed for a reason. You know, even, you know, there are even medical records that are, cannot be released without the patient's permission. So, you know, it's very important that we honor and respect security of documents and things of that nature and private information. Now, to the other extreme with IT people, then you get these geniuses, Um that they're not very ethical people because they're so smart. Um, they know that they're the best and the brightest in the industry or the best and the brightest for their company, and they just kind of do what they want, whenever they want, and they are basically loyal to the highest bidder. So they're, they're, they don't always have the best opinion of the United States because they're such a genius. They think they know it all. Um, you know, I've noticed, you know, what I've noticed with geniuses and um, people that are very highly intelligent They are hardly ever loyal to the United States or to the country that they're in, unless it's a communist country. 
Because what's, what's sad is that these uh, geniuses are so smart that they're stupid. Um, it's really quite sad because they think that, um, that the United States should not have borders. We shouldn't have any type of walls. We should share our data. And that um, you know, the, the rest of the, the planet is correct. The United States is wrong. And I'm like, wow, these are what some of these geniuses think. They really believe this. And it's shocking. Like they're, they're typically not pro-America. They're not uh, pro-military, um, but yet they love money. That's the thing. A lot of these geniuses or super intelligent people, they're typically communists. What you need to remember about communists is that they really do not care about people. They do not care about workers' rights at all. They have a problem with greed. They have a love of money, which is what the Communist Party has one of the biggest problems with. And so they, they claim that they want freedom. They really don't. Uh, they just want to be in charge of other people's freedom. Because they think that they're bright and everybody else is dumb. So I, I wish that there was a stricter criteria for who is hired in IT positions and also what their nationality is, like where, what country they're from. Because I think the United States is stupidly hiring way too many people that are of the foreign extraction because they're not loyal to the United States typically. I think we should be only be hiring loyal Americans because you know, the more sensitive the data is, the more you need to be sure about the person you're hiring and whoever is handling that data. It's very important. And I'm not just talking about with the FBI. My experience comes from working in the private sector. Like I've met a lot of weasels in IT departments, and it's really sad. And it's like, wow, this is who they hire? Man, I wouldn't trust them with, with giving my cat a bath. You know what I mean? It's just like much less personal data of any kind for anything. So just be aware of that. The next priority for them is combat public corruption at all levels. I think they do a good job of that. Um, let's see here, protect civil rights. I think they do a good job of that. Let's see, combat uh, transnational criminal enterprises. I don't know anything about that. And then combat major white-collar crime. Amen. I know they do a good job at that. So FBI, you get a gold star on this one. Here's why. If you want examples of how good the FBI is at catching bad people that commit white-collar crime, especially really bad ones, you need to watch the show American Greed. One of my favorite shows. I wish you would come back out and do more episodes. Um, because I'm always waiting for the episode where I actually recognize someone that I worked with. <laughs> you know, I've met so many weasels over the years. I'm like, oh, this would make a great American Greed episode. Of course, I don't tell the person that, but... I'm just like, oh, I know exactly how they could catch this person. But anyway, um, what I've noticed is that on American Greed, whenever they show the FBI um, going in and raiding an office or a building, man, the FBI are awesome. You, you guys and gals are great. Um, whenever they go in, it is very um, organized. It's meticulous. They go through everything. They go through every piece of paper. And I'm like, wow, I'm impressed with that. Like, these people are sharp. They do their job, and they do it well, so gold star. And I love that they actually go after people in white-collar crime because, you know, if you've seen any episodes of, of um, American Greed, you will see very quickly that um, there are quite a few people that um, have stolen from unsuspecting people and millions or billions of dollars, and they've totally gypped people, you know, just screwed them over out of their life savings, and now they're retired But, you know, these people that they stole from, yes, they're retired, but now they don't have any money. Now they've either got to go back to work or, or live on food stamps or something, and it's really sad. 
So I'm very thankful for that because there are so many people here in Oklahoma that get gypped. And it's just like, it's really sad. Um, because, you know, I can't stand crime anyway. It really bothers me. In fact, I hate crime. Um, I don't like bad people. Um, and it's one of those things that I'm grateful that they investigate this stuff. Because sometimes people only want to, they only want to look into violent crime and murder and espionage and all that stuff. Well, here's the thing. You know, some people may not realize that there are so many white-collar crimes that are linked to murders. They are linked um, to domestic violence. They are linked to terrorism. Like, here's the thing. If a criminal is willing to do one act of violence, they're willing to do other crimes. They're, they're willing to commit other types of stuff because it's one of those things like, You know, you give them an inch, they go a mile. And plus, the more they commit a crime, the better they get at it, which is really sad. Because, you know, what's interesting is that every single episode I've seen of American Greed, all these people that they've caught, I'm like, you know what, every single one of these people, you know, they, they had a passion for something, which in their case was being greedy and horrible to people. But if you think about it, they had a passion for something, they put a lot of energy and effort into it, And they accomplished what they wanted. But they did it for evil, not for good. Just imagine how much good every single one of those people they've caught, how much good they could have done if they had put all their energy and effort into doing good for mankind. And they would have been way more successful, would have made way more money, and they would not be in jail. So it's, that's how I look at stuff. I look at things from black and white, yes and no. It's like, what if they had just put that towards good? What if they'd wanted to help people, like really help people? Not just say they want to help people, but they actually cared about human life. They could have done so much more you know, with their life. You know, that's how I look at it. But for sure, FBI, uh, FBI, you've done a great job of arresting people in regards to white-collar crime. You get a gold star for me on that. So God bless you on that. Let me get a drink of water. Man, the air is so dry here right now. It's weird. It's dry, but it's also humid. Okay, so um, the uh, next thing that is one of their priorities is uh, combating significant violent crime. Now, here's the thing with that. Some people may not realize how much violent crime was actually taking place in the United States way back in the day. Um, violent crime was really bad uh, back in the 20s and 30s when we had a lot of gangsters and mobsters. Excuse me, and I know there will be people that you know, might watch a 1930s or a 1930s or 40s movie and you know think that it's funny, you know how they talked back then or how they dressed or things like that. But see, here's the thing: a lot of those movies are based on actual real events, like people actually were hurt, and um, you know these stories. You no, know, not all of them are made up, or they might be based on actual event that happened. So. I think that whenever you're watching like a gangster movie, you need to put yourself in the shoes of the victim because there actually have been a lot of victims of violent crime, and it's really sad. So one of the things that the FBI did, um, it expanded its agency in the 1930s because it was having to deal with um, racketeering, prostitution, drug violence. Um, it, it, they also had some prohibition in different states, which good luck with that because people love to drink. I think taking away someone's alcohol is the worst thing you can do because I'm like, okay, just give them a drink, calm them down, they'll be fine, you know, kind of thing. Um, but see, here's the thing. 
there were a lot of mob families here in the United States, especially of the Italian extraction. And what's interesting is that a city or a town would be normal until these mobs or gangs moved in. And I don't mean the ghetto mobs that are, are the ghetto gangs of like Detroit or of Chicago. We're not talking about that, not, not gangster rapper ones. We're talking about classy Italian um, mobs that, man, they would buy their wife a fur, I mean, at the drop of a hat. And then also by their mistress of her, even though she's probably just given him syphilis, which is what happened to Al Capone. Um, but anyway, so and he actually died from syphilis in prison. But anyway, um, the FBI was trying to combat all of that, and they did a really good job. Because what would happen was you'd have a normal city or town one day, and then the moment these bad families moved in, they, they would take over everything. And they would bring in very serious drugs. They would set up a prostitution, and it was really bad. And what we will see later on uh, in this podcast in regards to talking about the FBI is the FBI did so much to stop prostitution and to outlaw it. Because people don't realize that prostitution, I mean, I mean prostitution and, and lawyers, I mean, they are the two oldest professions, right, on the planet. Like, nothing is new. But... Uh, prostitution was definitely a problem here in the United States. It was especially a problem in our territories. So this goes back before the, the 20th century. There were some things um, that the FBI, they passed in terms of laws, like rules, laws, and uh, legislation back in the 1800s to combat prostitution um, because it was getting really bad, and also it was spreading a lot of disease. So technically, the FBI... And this is for before CDC type stuff and FDA, all those things is you know way before that. So the FBI knew that there was a human trafficking going on within the United States, and uh, they needed to get a handle on it because it was ruining society. Um, girls were being kidnapped and forced into prostitution, and it was really sad. And then also there was um, there were spikes in terms of syphilis and other sexually transmitted diseases. And so what you have to remember is that back then, um, in the 1800s, they didn't have antibiotics. Antibiotics did not come out until like 1942 or 45. So if you think about it, it's a fairly new medical invention. It's, it's, it has not been around a super long time. Like that is not something that's been around for years and years and years. It's fairly new. If you, if you look at all the medical stuff that we have, that's a fairly new invention if you look at a timeline. But here's the thing. You know, even though we did not necessarily have the CDC per se, you know, like we do now back then, they were still aware of stuff. And you know, they had modern medicine for what was considered modern medicine for them. So they were able to diagnose um, these different sexually transmitted diseases which the biggest one that was a problem was syphilis. And um, you know, there was also gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomonas. Um, There's also HPV, but you know, they just called it genital warts. And then, because um, they didn't have the ability to identify that, hey, it's, it's a virus per se. Um, they did, I don't think they looked at it under a microscope uh, for several years. Because you're also having to deal with like germ theory and things like that. So you know, modern medicine, it's modern in each era with what they know and from what they have learned from times past. So it's not that they were ignorant because they were not. They actually knew quite a bit for their day and age and for our society. Because if they had not known what they knew, we would not have 
what we have today. So we need to give thanks for all the work that these people did in times past. But here's the sad thing about syphilis is that they had several outbreaks of it um, due to prostitution, even going back to the turn of the century, even 1800s and things like that. And um, unfortunately with syphilis, um, it is a very, um, it's a very serious, um, how do I describe this? Because it's sad what I, what I know about because I had to research it. Um, syphilis is a very serious sexually transmitted disease. These days it is treated with antibiotics and, and you can get rid of it. Back then you were stuck with it. Syphilis can be dormant for many years. Other times it can just ruin your body and it's really bad. Um, what's really bad about syphilis and the way that they would typically realize that someone has syphilis is if I'm going to use this example because this happened all the time even though I don't like this at all because it disgusts me. But one of the ways that um wives would find out that they have a sexually transmitted disease is if their baby was born with a sexually transmitted disease because then they would know their husband gave them that sexually transmitted disease. It was very common, unfortunately, for men of leisure, wealthy men, even middle class men, but it's very common for them especially during the Victorian era and the turn of the century you know you marry your prize you know you marry the woman that you that you really want you want her money you want her to give birth to your children and you know you keep her in the house and you keep her busy with like doing charity work or something and then if the guy wants a, a little something on the side then he goes and gets a mistress and or a prostitute so then he picks up a sexually transmitted disease brings it home obviously gives it to his wife you know because they're sexually active because they're married the wife gets pregnant and she may or may not realize that she has an std unless she feels some of the symptoms or experiences the side effects of some of these sexually transmitted diseases can um some of them are very excruciatingly painful for women um because it can destroy the womb it can cause scar tissue it can lead to a whole lot of complications And so typically these married women did not know that they had a STD or that they were given an STD by their husband until they would give birth to their child. And if it is um infected with syphilis, then typically um the baby can be born stillborn or it can be born without a brain. So whenever the baby comes out of the birth canal, the 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 skull gets crushed because there's there's not a brain in there and it's deformed. Other times the baby can be born blind and be permanently permanently blind because of what some sexually transmitted diseases do to the child in the womb. And this is why OBGYNs why it why it is a standard protocol for them to test for a lot of different diseases especially um sexually transmitted diseases whenever a woman becomes pregnant because they want to make sure that if the mother if she does have xyz sexually transmitted disease if it's if it's bacterial they can treat it if it's viral it's not treatable unfortunately and uh well unless it's hepatitis c which you can get the the medicine for that but i don't know if the medicine is safe for pregnant women to take uh, i just don't know because it, it's a pretty serious medicine for hepatitis c but anyway um if a pregnant woman does have one of these bacterial sexually transmitted diseases these days the woman can just take an antibiotic she'll be cured and because she's cured her baby will not be infected because you know the mother supplies blood supply to the baby so that's how the baby gets infected with a sexually transmitted disease it's because 
it's feeding off the blood supply of the mother and that blood is circulating throughout the mother's body just like anybody else all the time because it's it's being circulated by your heart your lungs well not your lungs cuz your lungs are air but it's your heart and your circulatory system so you have the cardiovascular system that entails your heart then you have the circulatory system that encompasses your arteries your veins your capillaries so you know the FBI they're they're not just white collar crime and terrorism they actually did a lot of work in regards to stopping prostitution making it illegal and trying to curtail um these outbreaks of syphilis that were occurring especially in these red light districts um possibly some saloons and different things of that nature so just be aware that you know the the role that the FBI have today it has changed over time drastically but it has changed over time because the federal government grew and the reason one of the reasons why the federal government grew is because it had more responsibilities you know things were coming to light that oh we need to handle this so it's just one of those things that's probably why their organization grew or their agency grew and why their why their um the their department name changed over time because they were given more and more responsibilities of things that need needed to be handled at a federal level um so it's just one of those things i wanted to be clear about that on that so cuz it's not always an easy thing to talk about and not everybody is aware of the history of like saloons and sexually transmitted diseases in the United States and um cuz if you think about it that history is fairly recent considering you know how old civilization is you know what i mean i mean sexually transmitted diseases they're nothing new i mean they they replicate and mutate you know such as uh, is the case with hiv cuz i think hiv has two strands now and um hepatitis um there's hepatitis a b and c and i think they've identified a d and a e but you know that's to me it's concerning but that's just what viruses do that's how they stay alive like that's why you're seeing different strands of covid-19 it's no different than how the flu operates you know the flu replicates way worse and way more quickly i think than these other viruses so i mean that's why we get the flu vaccine every year And plus also with the flu vaccine just side side note on this they put several different strands of the flu in that flu vaccine to try and help you get immunity from those strands of the flu. So if anything you're not just protected one time. You know, that's why you need to get that shot every year, especially for the flu and for COVID-19. It's because you're you're developing new immunity to anything new out there as opposed to catching the virus itself and getting really sick and possibly dying from it or um possibly having permanent damage to your body that um will make it very difficult for you to live a normal natural life which can happen when COVID-19 or the flu damages your lungs. So just be aware of that. Um it doesn't pay to be a no-vaxer if anything um The only way it pays to be a no-vaxer is to pay the undertaker because you're taking a big risk of losing your life um basically on stupidity for not getting your vaccine. Now, if you cannot get your vaccine, you know like for example, you can't get vaccines, you have a health condition, then you are naturally exempt. So this stuff, you know, getting shots doesn't apply to you because of your health concern, but the majority of the population has a ethical and civic duty to be vaccinated. I mean, you know, vaccines are basic. basic healthcare that's basic healthcare it's not even specialized it's not even going to a neurosurgeon like you know vaccines are the easiest way to protect your country and to protect your children 
So just FYI, be aware of that. But I will go ahead and end this podcast. This is going to be part one because we have quite a bit to cover in the rest of this and talking about the FBI. But it's really good information, and they do a lot of work. So, but I will go ahead and end this podcast. But until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole. That you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye bye. I still hold the first